Holy Spirit, as you gave the Magi faith to see a child and bow down and worship, give us faith as well to continue to do that today, that we might, like them, be filled exceedingly with great joy. So show us what you have in your word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So three responses, three different characters or groups to Jesus. And I think you find yourself somewhere in some of those. So responding to Jesus, how do they, how do we? First, Herod. There is no shortage of history written about Herod. His thirst for power is well known. His, his bloodthirst to keep power is well known. Killing uh, his favorite wife, which history showed her to actually not have lied to him and been wrong, but it was too late. Many of his sons to keep power. He got to power by persuasion, by being a shrewd politician, and he kept it that way with an iron and, yes, bloody fist. And you might say, well, uh, how could I have anything to do with that? Take a moment and think. Herod simply wanted, on the one hand, to be respected. The respect of his peers, the respect of he kind of grew, he grew up half Jewish, wasn't ever really full. He had a deep insecurity. Are, do these people really accept me? Am I really one of them? Am I really accepted? Herod simply wanted life to be controllable and manageable. If I can control everything, which sometimes means some serious consequences for some people, then I can see everything, I can manage, I can control, and I'm always in charge. And when you get word of a baby who is born king, which, by the way, people aren't born king. They're born prince or something else. Herod's called Herod the king. And wait, there's this baby who was born king. Of course, he goes into protection mode because he's filled with fear. He knows how he got the throne. And, of course, that's how he fears he will lose it. So, of course, you kill them before they'll kill you. How many times, though you might say, well, I could never do something as terrible of those things, how many times have you simply wanted to control the outcomes of your life? How many times have you just wanted a little more respect from someone? Or how many times have you just wanted a little more power? Or how many times has fear gripped your heart and made you do strange things? Now, certainly there, there's... Uh, some right kinds of fear. If you've studied Martin Luther's small catechism all over the place, the commandments say we should fear and love God so that we don't do evil but do good. And the Proverbs say, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you're in a uh, severe, dangerous situation, the, the right kind of fear makes you get out. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. Have you ever been afraid of the consequences of telling the truth, so you told a lie to protect yourself or someone else? Or have you ever kept a secret that you shouldn't have because you were afraid of the consequences? Herod, we find out, meets the Magi secretly. He says he, he secretly met with them. Now, 
strange visitors, likely from Persia, with, with camels and, and all sorts of entourage, and they, they look very different, and they come into Jerusalem. Of course, everybody knows they're there, so it's kind of hard, but he, he manages to then later secretly meet with them. And then he lies to them. He says, oh, yes, I too would like to go worship this child. Too. Tell me when, when, he, when you find him. How many times has our want for control or power or simply just fear led us to do things secretly, to lies even more? But if you're Herod, you have a great excuse for, for keeping power. You say, I'm the one that brought peace and stability to the Jewish people. I'm, I'm their king. They had uh, so much bloodshed and war before. I, I'm, I just want to keep order and peace and control. But fear can find your address too, can't it? And sometimes it's wondering what might happen to my children if I let them make this decision, or, or what might happen to my career if I make this decision, or what might happen to my health or my future. And fear can drive a lot of things in us, can't it? And just when we think Herod has nothing to do with us, maybe there's a piece of Herod in all of us. When fear grips my heart and yours, we can do things we previously thought unthinkable. Good news is, Jesus was born for you. Jesus was born to free you and forgive you. Jesus is called and promised in the Old Testament to be the Prince of Peace. And Jesus is the one who was born king and yet this king gave up all the power, gave up all control. You see it most fully on the cross when he dies for you. And he gives, up, he gives up the wealth of heaven to be born poor to Mary and Joseph. He gives up all of it because he wants something better for you. You see, Jesus doesn't offer you control. And he doesn't promise wealth. But Jesus will absolutely deliver you peace today. Peace tomorrow, peace on every Tuesday and Wednesday, no matter what else, what other fears might creep their way into your heart. Jesus is your Prince of Peace. And he is more than good and loving enough to forgive all of those times when fears got the best of you. Okay, that's Herod. Second, the religious leaders. So Herod secretly meets with the wise men, and then the religious leaders you might call them the, the pastors of the day. They are. They are the ones, you might call them his spiritual advisors or his spiritual care team. They, they are the Sadducees that run the temple. They're the ones that, that know the scriptures, study the scriptures professionally. They are the God's word professionals. And they lead the worship in the temple. They know the messianic promises. They've gone back with Herod and studied the scriptures and it's really sad, then, what happens to them. You see, Herod says, okay, uh, I heard this, that this Messiah is born. The right response of every Jewish person would have been, that's wonderful. The long-promised Messiah has come for us. We've been waiting for so many years. We're so glad. Let's go find him, and let's worship him, too. Herod utters those words, but you know they mean something totally different. The right response would have been to be, with excitement, go to Bethlehem and worship. But what is their response? Well, they know from tucked in to the small book of Micah, 
that the Messiah was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. But who goes to check it out? Nobody. Only the, the Magi. Herod doesn't go. Do any one of those priests in Jerusalem go? says, no. They know the answer. And guess what? Bethlehem is six miles away from Jerusalem. It's about a two-hour walk. Equivalent for us to about a two-hour drive. So you, you can't be bothered to find the answer to the news you've been waiting for for hundreds upon hundreds of years that God is going to redeem his people finally and fully and send the Messiah. And what should have been the best news ever, you can't even be bothered to spend two hours to go find out the answer to that. They show me, the religious leaders show me at times when I also get complacent. How often do you and I realize the treasure we have in God's word? And how many days does it sit in the same place? Or how easy can we become complacent to even hearing the gospel itself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus died, rose, forgave me. Oh, yeah, Christmas. Oh, yeah, been there, done that before. How easily can we become complacent to the best news ever? And how often can sometimes you and I don't act on God's word or say, well, I know what God's will is, but I'd really like something else. Or, uh, you know, I'd rather sleep in today. Or, or, I, or I actually really want what I want, not what God's want. God wants. How often can we take worship for granted or, or the very gospel itself? But guess what? Jesus even forgives you there. Jesus, the king born in Bethlehem, was not just born for fearful, controlling people. He was born for complacent people, which sometimes is you and me. And even when you and I take the good news for granted or when we even get lazy in faith and lazy in our following of Jesus, he even forgives you there. And when he forgives you, he leads you back to where true joy is found. And that's in his word and in worship. And that's what the Magi receive. They rejoice exceedingly with great, it's like triple joy in, in the text. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy because they found the treasure itself, Jesus. Okay, that's the first two. Now the Magi. There's a strange thing that Matthew writes in every gospel you can, uh, English people, you can look as a literary document, meaning the writer, Matthew, has every intent to put themes and words and, and not just tell you facts, but make beautiful art out of it as well. One of the features in this story is you would think, because Matthew has already said, this happened to Jesus to fulfill what happened in the Old Testament over here. This happened to fulfill this. You already know that Matthew is very Jewish and telling you that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah for the Jewish people. And then here we are barely in chapter 2. And you would think you're supposed to identify with Jewish people in the story receiving their Messiah. And here you're pushed to know that they're not the good guys here. You're pushed to identify with these strange people from far away. These Persian astrologers is the best guess among other guesses. See a star and go. Months, maybe years, we don't know. And so they pack up camels, pack up probably uh, workers and servants and who know, families maybe, who knows, and they go. 
And what a strange sight at the gates of Jerusalem coming on in and wondering about where the, the Messiah is to be. Now, if it's a strange sight at the gates of Jerusalem, going to the palace expecting to find the baby there, it's got to be an even stranger sight at Mary's door, right? Knock, knock. Who's there? Magi? Sounds like a weird joke coming on, right? I don't have a knock-knock joke for the Magi. But can you imagine? It's, the text seems to, seem that, it seems to show us that Joseph was off working. They don't mention him there. So it's a normal, regular day. Joseph's working. Mary's there with Jesus. Knock-knock. Who's there? Magi. Okay. Come on in, I guess. I mean, and they come. These strange people from a different culture, different language, different looks. They, Mary and them have almost nothing in common. And yet they come in and they bow and they worship and they sacrifice giving gifts to this child. How strange, how moving, how, how holy for them to bow and, and worship this likely toddler on Mary's lap who is the hope of the world. Now one thing I love in this story is to see that Jesus, even from his birth, invites everyone. Jesus wants everyone to know him. Even in his birth, faith in Jesus was never an exclusive little club or group. Never has been, never is supposed to be. Jesus wants all people, everyone, to know him. And even from his birth, strange, God can work miracles to bring strange people from far away that otherwise would have no idea that anybody's been born in Israel. And here they come and worship Jesus. Do you know that the person you least expect to come to faith, for all you know, they could be going on a mission trip next week. That's how big God's heart is, and that's how big the pull of the Holy Spirit is. And so who you and I would, might write off in our heart, Jesus might have big plans for them to follow him. Also, bowing to worship Jesus like the Magi connects you and me to the most diverse family on the planet. Revelation 7 talks about it this way talks about the multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and worshiping Jesus, the risen, the lamb who was slain has begun his reign, the risen one for us. Do you know that, that coming here today, even though we might all look kind of similar to each other, you are connected to the most diverse family on the planet. And then the last thing about the Magi is because they worship Jesus, they are changed and they go home differently. So the last verse of the story, verse 12, says, They were warned in a dream, much like Joseph and Mary were, to, to go to Egypt, come back, to stay away from Herod. They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. He's lying. Again, God can solve problems in ways we have no idea sometimes. They were warned not to return back to Herod and went home by a different way. So the Magi don't stay and join and become toddler Jesus groupies and follow him around throughout his whole child. They don't. They go home. And I imagine 
as weird as they were coming, they might have gone home even stranger to be evangelists in their hometown of the hope and the joy and the peace that they found in a child. See, the Magi worship Jesus not even knowing the full story. They just know he's the one that can fulfill what my heart needs most. You, you and I get to know the rest of the story, that he absolutely is. And he shows us that he is because he dies for us and rises for us. They just worship him before knowing all that. And then they go home, assuredly to tell all of their friends and family and loved ones that you'll never believe this, but you should. Friends, when Herod's of our heart rise up and give you fear, the simple answer is to bow down and worship Jesus like the Magi. When the Herods of your heart grip you with fear, bow down and worship Jesus who will give you peace that you can't even imagine. Or when the complacency of the religious leaders creeps into my heart and to your heart, Bow down and worship Jesus. He will soften you and he will change you. And when you and I join the Magi in bowing and worshiping our Savior, you will absolutely go home differently. And I hope you do today. And we do every day that we bow and worship Jesus. We go home differently with joy because the Savior has been born for you. So may the peace of Christ, which does go beyond our understanding, Guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus.